Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, take your Bibles, turn over to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We're continuing our sermon series, Just Stop It where we're looking at things in modern society that have actually been going on for years that we just need to stop. And uh, so we're going to be looking at uh, over at Genesis chapter 6 this morning. Now, for our wind-shaped group, you need to know that when you're in Kentucky, there are some strange laws in Kentucky uh, that we have there. Some of them have to do with church. Uh, Not many states have this law, but it is a law in Kentucky. It is illegal to handle snakes in worship services. Uh, So if you are planning on doing that this week, can't do it in Kentucky. It's illegal. And the reason it's illegal, though, is really important. It's illegal because it's dangerous. Okay, but here's the thing. A pastor in Kentucky, a new law, can carry an open firearm in the pulpit uh, because that's not dangerous or something like that. So you can't have snakes, but you can't have guns uh, in the church. So the point of this is, be careful, I might be packing. You know, that's just, that's just what you need to know. Kentucky's got some other strange laws, though. It is illegal to fish in Kentucky with a bow and arrow. Now, I'm not a great fisherman, but I've never wanted to fish with a bow and arrow. I, I don't know what that is or not. And then perhaps the strangest of all in Lexington. Do we have any Lexington folks out there today? Uh, we got one. Okay, well, sort of a UK person out there. Yeah, uh, well, in Lexington, an actual law, it is illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket in Lexington, Kentucky. That is an actual law. Now, I don't know what caused that city council to sit around and think they needed that law, uh, but somebody figured they did, and that is an actual law in Lexington today. So it's pretty obvious we can come up with some pretty silly laws if we put people together in a room and tell them they're our legislators. But what we're going to look at this morning is even more serious than that. And that's this. People making up their own laws. When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to how you're going to live your life, saying, I don't care what God says, I don't care what his word says, uh, I'm going to make up my own way of living and my own laws, and that always leads to trouble. So we're over in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse verse 1. And the first thing we see is this. We are living in an increasingly amoral society. We're living in an increasingly amoral society. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when human beings begin to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Uh, And so we have this beginning here, uh, and what we're told is, okay, uh, the earth is now being populated. Uh, More and more people are coming upon the planet, and there's an issue that develops somehow between what is called the sons of God and daughters of men. Now, nobody knows what that means, so don't ask me if we have another, uh, you know, ask anything night, okay? Uh, Sometimes sons of God is translated, well, is that angels? Is it a a great king? Is Is it powerful people? Is it the descendants of Seth against the descendants of Cain? Nobody knows, and it's never referred to again anywhere in Scripture. So, so whoever it refers to, what is important, though, is what was going on. Now, in the English, it's translated very gingerly, and it says something like, well, uh, they, they saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any they chose. 
But if you look at the actual Hebrew, it says something more like this. They took anyone that they wanted. And that word Hebrew for took is the word grasped, seized, or captured. So whatever was going on here was not something that was uh, in God's eyes uh, profitable or good. Then look down to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all of the people of the earth had corrupted their ways. So we have this first incident with whoever the sons of God and the daughters of men are, and then we're told you have a corrupt place. Everyone is seemingly corrupt, and the earth is full of violence. People hurting, uh, murdering, killing uh, one another. And so you have this image of a world that is going out of control. In just two verses, we've seen sexual sins, corruption, and violence. And then look at verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So the inclinations of the heart. Sin is not so much the action, which is what we think sin is, but sin is actually the heart and what causes the action in the first place. If you weren't thinking it, if it wasn't going through your mind, if you didn't somehow justify it, you wouldn't be doing it in the first place. So the act is actually secondary to the heart and the mind that caused the act in the first place. And so just trying to clean up the act isn't going to do anything. You've got to say, what's in my heart, what's in my mind that's causing me to want to do these things and then acting upon them in the first place because that's where sin actually is and actually develops. So you have this out-of-control society full of sexual sin, corruption, violence, everything in the world going on, and God sees that the inclination of the heart is evil all the time. You look at the world today, and we're increasingly living in a society that is amoral and practices moral relativism. And what I mean by moral relativism is that there isn't a standard of right or wrong or good or bad. That people make up their own standard. It's an individual thing. What might be right for you isn't right for me. Or what's bad for you might not be bad for me. I'm going to make decisions on the fly. There's not going to be some sort of absolute standard. And the statistics on this are mind-boggling. If you are 35 or older, only 60% of people in our country believe that there is an absolute standard of right and wrong. That means 40% of the people over 35, 40% believe there is no standard whatsoever on making something good or bad or right or wrong. It's just whatever you're coming up with on the fly. But you look at people 35 and under, people 35 and under, it's just flipped. 60% of them believe there is no absolute moral standard. 60% of the people 35 and younger believe there is no standard of right, wrong, good, bad, and because of that, we're living in a society that is having more and more issues because they see there is no objective standard whatsoever. Jason Isaacs uh, is, is an actor. Uh, uh, he was in the, uh, the Harry Potter movies. He was Lucius Malfoy, and he was a bad guy if you never read any of the Harry Potter movies. But he was interviewed. There's him right here. He was interviewed recently, and uh, if you've never read any of the Harry Potter books, the bad guy is Voldemort. Voldemort is basically the devil. 
Uh, he's a, he's, he, he wants to, to kill, destroy. Anytime he's around, the whole room goes dark uh, because of the evil that is with him. And Jason Isaacs, in an interview just recently, said this about Baltimore. He said, he's not a bad guy. That's just the way he views the world. He thought what he was doing was right. Other people thought it was wrong. But you couldn't say one was good or one was bad. They're just living life the best they can. That's moral relativism, that, it, that, that everything is, is okay. It doesn't matter. You can't say one thing is wrong or one thing is right. And so we've become a society today where we always talk about things like tolerance. But what is tolerance? Tolerance is basically put up with anything I want to say or believe, but I don't have to put up with anything you say or think or believe. That's kind of what tolerance uh, is today. And so it goes back to a basic worldview. If you believe there's a God, you believe that there are, there are absolute standards of right and wrong and good and bad. Uh, things like the Ten Commandments. Stealing is wrong. Lying is wrong. Uh, coveting is wrong. Uh, murder is wrong. That those things are not negotiables. Uh, that those things are, are in stone. There is good and bad. There is right and wrong. If you believe in relativism, then it's, well, there is no absolute standard. Uh, it's just whatever I happen to come up with at the moment uh, and what might be right for you might not be good or bad for me. So if that's how you view life in this relativistic sort of way, then the question becomes up, how do people make decisions? How do you make moral decisions if you don't have a standard to go by? And again, statistics are, are really scary when you look at them. 50% of people who are relativistic, and that's almost half of our population, the number one way they make decisions is how they feel at the moment. The number one way they make decisions is how they feel at the moment. Now, think about that for a second. Do you always feel the same way every minute? Have you ever watched a basketball game with somebody? You know, one moment they're excited, the next moment they're down, then they're angry, then they're happy, then they're mad at the referees again. They go up and down all the time. What if you made every moral decision on how you feel at the moment? Well, one day I feel it's good to steal from you. Next day I might not feel that way, so I better steal from you today or something like that, you know, as it is. You know, your emotions are going to go up and down. But that's how half of the people are making decisions, how they feel. It has to do with feelings, not with fact or good or right or wrong. Another 20%, the number one way they make a decision is on how it affects them. Is it going to hurt me or benefit me? So maybe lying to you or cheating on the test will benefit me, I think, so I'll do it. So 70% of the people are making decisions on how they feel and on what benefits them. Think of the chaos that that can cause if that's how you're making basic worldview and life decisions. Uh, you know, it, it, things quickly can spin out of control. Frederick Nietzsche said this, You have your way, I have my way. As for the right way, there is no such thing. And they made me buy that nuts book when I was in college. I had to pay money for it. And yet that's the way he views life. So there you have the first thing. We're increasingly living in an amoral society. The next thing we see is this. Moral relativism will lead to disaster each and every time. Moral relativism will lead to disaster each and every time. 
So it's obvious that if you let people run loose and they're saying, I'm going to make decisions on how I feel, I'm going to make decisions on what benefits me, uh, that it's not going to be either reliable or something that can be sustained for a long time. Uh, so let's look in our scripture on how some of that plays out uh, when, we're, when we're doing that. Because moral relativism always has consequences to itself. Uh, look down to verse 3. We see the first result, the disaster that comes when people were doing whatever they wanted. Then the Lord God said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever. They are mortal. Their days will now be 120 years. So up to this time, because the earth was being populated, people were living seven, eight, nine hundred years. But God said, look, people have become so evil, they're, they're, they're not following any objective standard any longer. He limits the age that people are going to live now to a max of, of around 120, uh, he says at, at this point, because uh, they have now cycled out of control. You look at our society today and you see how we are cycling out of control. We have a breakdown in the family. Uh, 83% of people in America say our morals are, are declining and something needs to be done about it. I found that really interesting. 83% think our morals are declining. Well, if 83% think that, then a good portion of them are part of the declining morals. Okay, it's not just that 17% over there or something like that. So I, I didn't quite understand that stat. But everybody thinks there's a problem. They just don't think they're a part of the problem. So you have a, a breakdown in the family, a breakdown in morals, a breakdown in, in, in politics. This is the worst I've ever seen politics in my life. I'm a poli-sci major. And I'm here to tell you, there, there's always been differences of opinion, but it's never been where if you have an opinion, I've got to hate you and, and think you're an idiot. You know, that's never, it's supposed to be in the world of ideas. You try to convince me you're right. I try to convince you I'm right. And, and I learn from you. You learn from me. And maybe, maybe I'll come to your point of view and you'll come to mine. It's not if you disagree with me, you're a bad person and I hate you. But that's what politics has come to in our country. And it all revolves back to how we view the world with no objective standards and things slowly spiral out of control. We see that further on in our scripture passage uh, as we see more of the results uh, of the fall. Look back to chapter 6 again, uh, down to uh, verse 7, or verse 6, verse 6. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So when God saw everything that was going on, it hurt him, it troubled him, and the Lord said, I'm going to wipe off from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And so God is, is, is looking now and judgment is coming because the way people are living, no standards, no morals, God's judgment is coming. And so we see this relativism that's leading to disaster as people are beginning to do whatever they think, whatever they want, uh, with absolutely no ramifications to that. And so, again, spinning out of control. There, you probably have heard the story of Sergeant Charles Martland. Uh, Martland is a special forces uh, soldier in Afghanistan. And uh, even though it's not a comfortable topic to talk about in a sermon, uh, in Afghanistan there is a tradition of kidnapping and raping young boys. And the American soldiers were told, if this happens on the base, you're to do nothing about it. And Martland was walking to his barracks one night when a mother came running up to him in panic and told him that her son had been taken by some men. 
He followed the mother into a room where the boy had been handcuffed and was being raped, and he stopped the rape. And the army court-martialed him for this, saying that is their society, that is their belief, and you're not to interfere with it. Again, relativism is exactly what it was. Got a picture here of, of Martin and his reaction to that. He said, I felt a moral obligation, and there is nothing that you could have told me that would have prevented me from stopping that rape that day. Now, luckily, uh, people got involved in the United States. Uh, his court-martial was overturned, and he's still serving in the armed forces today. But the idea that, well, it's their way of looking at it, so just leave it alone, don't interfere. They're, you know, theirs have one standard, we have another standard. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong. That's relativism. It always leads to disaster. And that brings us to the third thing that we see. It takes faith to live in a world that is so different than the standards you hold. It takes a very strong faith to live differently in a world that holds standards that seems to be entirely different than yours. Look down to verse 9 in our scripture passage. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. So you have this world out of control. The inclination of everyone's heart is only evil from the day one. God's sorry he created people. But then you have Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. So Noah is completely different than the rest of the world. He's righteous. In other words, he's doing things that are right instead of things that are wrong. He's blameless at least among the people of his day, uh, because none of us are really blameless, and he's walking faithfully according to God's standards. So he has a, a, a worldview that is entirely different than every other person on the planet Earth. Now, think how challenging that must have been for Noah, uh, to, to have a, a worldview so different than, the re- than everyone else, uh, and yet he's still living out uh, what he believes. So the world is violent, selfish, anything goes. Noah is, is loving, forgiving, uh, and is living according to godly ways, and he had to stick out like a sore thumb. In the world today, there will be times you will stick out as a sore thumb if you live by godly values. When everybody else is being selfish and you're trying to be caring. Uh, when everyone else is looking out for themselves and you're trying to look out for other people. When you have a hateful world and you're trying to be loving. When you have a world that wants to get back at other people and you're trying to be forgiving. You're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Okay? But that doesn't mean that we still don't do what God has said. We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. See, we think everybody in the world is supposed to be nice and, and, uh, and, and live the way we want and the way we think. That's not the world we live in. You were supposed to be what gives the world its light. You're supposed to be what gives the world its flavor and its seasoning, that salt. You're supposed to be something different in the world. The problem is the way we sometimes portray that. Because a lot of very well-intentioned Christians go about it in all the wrong way. We look at a world spiraling out of control and it's becoming more and more amoral. And the way we respond to it is shouting at the world. You're bad. You're doing bad things. God's angry at you. You're going to go to hell. Man, that's really going to change somebody's mind, isn't it? You bad person, you're going to hell. Well, thank you. I want to hear more about that. You know, know, uh, 
You know what they're going to think? They're just going to think you're a religious nut. That's what they're going to think. When I was in college, and I think uh, there's still people go around today, we had Brother Mordecai, and I forget sister, whatever her name was, but they would show up on the college campus, and they would go around, and they would condemn everybody. And then, you know, people would walk by, and they'd say, you're going to hell, and you're going to hell, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, Brother Mordecai was preaching there on the University of Louisville campus. There were people taking pennies and throwing it at him, going, pennies from heaven, you know, they were throwing Everybody's laughing at him. And everything. He saw an increasingly amoral society and he was going to yell at it and judge it. That's not supposed to be what we're doing as a Christian. We were supposed to be salt and light. People were supposed to be seeing your good works, we're told in Matthew chapter 5, and glorify God in heaven because of it. The exact opposite of what we often do today. I want to read you a couple of passages of scripture to kind of point that out. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you uh, the reason for the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and respect. So always be prepared to give an answer for the hope you have. Why are you different? Why are you having different values? Why do you see the world differently? Be prepared to give an answer with gentleness and respect. And not, and not somehow, you know, coming in uh, with the hammer condemning from day one. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Colossians 4, 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity you have. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Again, it's supposed to be in love and care, people seeing you and your lifestyle, wanting to know what's different, and then you being prepared to give an answer for that. So both things are involved. You're supposed to live differently, and you're supposed to be prepared to say why you're living differently when people ask, because they will ask, because it is different. Okay? And so um, Noah was simply different than all the people he was encountering. When people see the difference, they talk about it. They want to know more about it. I was reading an article on the Titanic this week, uh, and uh, uh, a couple of people came up, Isidore and Ida Strauss. Anybody heard, heard of them? You know, they're fairly famous in the Titanic uh, stories. Uh, got a picture of them here, I think. Uh, Isidore, uh, that's Isidore Strauss. He was uh, one of the richest people in the world, owned Macy's department store at the time. And when the Titanic was going down, both him and his wife uh, were placed on a, a, a lifeboat. He got off the lifeboat and said, I'm not going to stay on the lifeboat uh, if there are other people who are women and children who need to be on the lifeboat. And uh, so then his wife got off the lifeboat and he said, what are you doing? And she said, I will die the way we have lived together. And then she looked at their maid who was not allowed on the lifeboat and said, please take my seat. Now the, 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 the sailor from the ship said, crew member said, no, you can't get on here. This is for first class passengers only. And so she took her mink coat off, put it on her maid, took all of her jewels off, put it on her maid and said, that should do it. Now get on the lifeboat. And when the Titanic was going down, the last sighting of them was arm in arm kissing as the boat was going down. Now, when they got back, why do people know that story? Why do you think they know it? Because people talked about it. It made an impression to people on that lifeboat. 
if you were on the lifeboat, would you have said, yeah, I'll get off, you know, you know, when somebody else I get on and I'll, I'll get off knowing I'm going to die. That made such an impression on people that they got back and everyone told that story. They kept watching the boat to see them because it so was seared in their minds. And we still tell the story today. When people look at your life, that's what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to say, they're not like everybody else. They're they're helpful. They're caring. They're understanding. They're forgiving. They're patient. What's different about them? And they talk about it. And then you have a reason for your hope and you point them to God. So Noah was different than everybody else. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture. God understands and forgives our weaknesses and seeks a relationship with us. God understands and forgives our weaknesses and seeks a relationship with us. So you know the story of Noah and the ark. The flood came, uh, the great destruction. Noah and his family and the animals were saved. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I always thought it was funny growing up because I think strangely that, that uh, all of my friends had their little Noah's Ark toys. And I'm thinking, <laughs> that's a symbol of the world being destroyed and they're playing with it or something. And I always thought that was kind of funny, but I was a weird kid, you know, so, you know, whatever. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, so all of that has taken place and we're over in chapter eight. So we'll turn over to chapter eight. So Noah uh, and the Ark have now landed. They, they come off of the Ark and... Look down to verse 20 and let's uh, see what happens. Chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of all of the clean animals and the clean birds and he sacrificed burnt offerings upon it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. And so what has happened here is really interesting. Noah gets off of the ark. There's not a lot left. Okay, and you've got got some some mud that's drying up and you've got a few animals that he's got brought on the ark. And he takes some of the clean animals and there were seven pairs of them, but only seven in the entire world. And he sacrifices some of the most precious things he has to God saying, I'm giving you everything I've got. And when he does that, we're told that the aroma of the sacrifice came to God. Now, does that mean God said, man, that's a good smelling barbecue down there, you know, uh, and making me hungry, you know? No, it's what Noah was doing. Noah was giving his heart and his life to God. And God responded and said, that's why I created people. That's what it's about in the first place. This kind of intimate relationship of giving. And then God said this. I understand that people's hearts are always going to be inclined to evil. But I'm going to be a gracious, loving God because I want the relationship that I've got here with Noah with everyone. So the point of all of this is is very simple. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how many times you've done it, or how bad you think you are. God loves you. God forgives you. The whole point of Jesus going to the cross is to die on the cross to forgive you of your sins when you didn't deserve it. It's no longer about judgment. It's about grace and forgiveness. And all of that is seen so clearly in our scripture passage here.
So if you're someone that's messed up, if you're someone that's gone the wrong way, know God loves you, God reaches out to you, God cares for you, and God will forgive you. Now, it doesn't mean you keep living the way you're living now. You need to, you need to turn it over to God. You need to repent. You need to come to him. But when you do, amazing things begin to happen. found an interesting story in the paper this week. A lady got an anonymous uh, letter in the mail uh, that had a lot of money in it. And I got a picture of that right here. And I wanted you to read the letter that she, she got. About five and a half years ago, I did something very terrible to you. I stole your wallet out of your purse. I was a drug addict wanting to take money from whoever I could so I could get high. I didn't even know you. I pickpocketed you and took it right out of your purse. I took the best buy card you had in it and whatever cash was in it and threw the wallet in the trash can next to the store. Not too long after that, I landed in a treatment facility and got sober. I've been sober for four years now and just recently found your best buy card uh, in, a, in a bunch of old stuff. I looked up your name and found where you worked, and so here I am. I can't imagine the frustration and despair I put you through, not to mention all the time and effort looking for it and getting all your new stuff. It was unforgivable what I've done to you. I would like to pay you a small amount of the money I owe you. I would also ne- also want you to know I would never hurt anyone in that way again, and I will continue to live an honest life. I wish you nothing but happiness, prosperity, and good health. There's someone who originally was acting on how they felt. I need drugs. Uh, I, I'm out of control. It's okay for me to take something from you if it benefits me. Who now, as a sober person, looks at that and says, you know what? There is an absolute standard. I broke it. It is wrong. I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to change my life. The simple fact of the matter is there are absolute standards. There is right and wrong, and there is good and bad. You can ignore it, and you can live your own way. And if you do, it will end up being disastrous for you and other people. Or you can say there is a standard. I'm going to follow it. Now, here's the deal about God's law. We think God's law is to keep us in line and make us do certain things. That's not what God's law is about. God's law is to show you the best way to live. See, we've messed the whole thing up. We think of it as a, 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 a rule that we're bad people if we ignore it. No, it's something that if you don't do it, your life will be less. It will hurt you and it will hurt other people. God's just showing you the best way. He's not trying to hold you down or keep you in line. He's showing you the best way to live. When your mama said to you, don't put your hand on the stove or it's hot and you'll get burned. Well, she's thinking, <laughs> I'm going to make a rule up so that kid will have to follow it. And if they don't follow it, they'll be bad and I'll whip them. Is that why mom did that? Yes, exactly. That's why she did it. No, she didn't want you to burn your stupid hand. That's why she gave you the rule. The reason you have in the laws in the Bible is that God doesn't want you hurt and to live a lesser life. He wants you to live the highest life you can. And that's why we have standards. And that's why your life is less without it and better with it. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for giving us the best way to live. Uh, You've given us an instruction manual for life. Father, help us to know that when we follow it, our lives will be better. 
and we will be better because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.